Gameforge's In the Hunt, Season 4. Retooled, rearmed with more knowledge to help you reach your performance goals and your next level. In the Hunt members, mount up. It's time for the hunt. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's In the Hunt podcast. I'm here with Brian Bailey, as always, and our very frequent guest, Gareth McShay from Ireland, who we keep up late. Um, unfortunately, that's what happens when you're when you're in Europe, right? You got to stay up late to watch golf and you got to stay up late to watch podcasts. So how are you guys doing, Brian? You got some new Internet coming? Yeah, I do. They're drilling in the walls right now. I'm excited. I won't I won't be sitting in Starbucks parking lots and McDonald's parking lots and elementary schools uploading videos. Yeah, you know, it's nothing like owning an internet company and not having internet at your house that works very well. Yeah, well, you know, internet everywhere. They they give you rednecks out there, the old 2400 baud dial up and figure you're fine for the next 50 years. Sometimes I wish I had 2400. I mean, <laughs> it, it's not bad out here on occasions. And uh, sometimes you have zero hundred. No, it's it's bad. Like, yeah, it's bad. My son is a pure victim of trying to game, and I'm lagging. I'm like, no, you're not lagging. That's just the way life is, son. <laughs> you're just feeling well behind. <laughs> Gareth, how's how's life in Ireland? How's the weather? Irish. Really, Mark? You have to go to the weather first. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know why I bother because it's it's pretty consistent. Actually, last time we last two or three times you've been there, it's been sunny in seventy two the entire time. That's all I know. Like Ireland, that. yeah, that's all. That's all Brian Billy knows of Ireland. They 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 sunshine and the bikinis and and I have to say, Mark, you do look fetching in a bikini and everything else that comes with it. So. Um, Weather's pretty chilly. We've got a cold front coming in. Uh, everything's great. You know, we're simmering. The season's starting to get going. Great. I mean, you say golf's on late, but it's a great time for us guys because it's, you know, it's evening time. We're going to watch some amazing competitors go out at Hammer and Tongs early days. And, and I think this is going to be a hell of a season for golf on the uh, on the tours you should be watching. Oh, and which ones are those? Uh, well, the ones, you know, the ones. <laughs> The ones, the ones. The ones. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if, you, if you have to YouTube it or go and look up some channel that previously I believe had a lot of shows about sewing or, or stuff like that, you're probably not watching the ones. <laughs> if it's on Sci-Fi Channel, we probably are not. That's probably not the, the uh, probably not in the list. Yeah, if, if the 18th hole has been interrupted by uh, an episode of Friends from 40 years ago, you're in the wrong channel. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, live and let live, boys. Live and let live. I would have to. I would have to watch any golf to even know what that experience is like. But I watched a little <laughs> bit here and there. Anyway, cool. So today's episode, uh, we're going to talk uh, largely about learning things from from other sports, meaning not just kind of techniques and practices, but people who are really good at other sports. And what can we learn from that and apply to golf? And, and in a little bit here, we're going to listen to some uh, interview with Jojo Morasco, who's a friend of mine, who's a golfer. But more than that, he's a very, very well-known uh, former pro lacrosse player. He, was, he set all-time scoring records in college that are still unbroken. Um, and he played pro, pro lacrosse. And it's a great interview with just about kind of what is that mindset? What, what put him above the field in terms of, you know, how did you get so good? Was it raw talent? Was it training? Was it mindset? Was it coaching? Was it motivation? What was it? Um, and he gives really great answers on that. And he all, as a golfer also, you know, how does that apply to golf and how does that, that carry you through? So we'll listen to that uh, podcast, that interview in a few minutes here. And, and I will say for myself, 
I, I, there's a lot of things I've taken from other fields that have actually applied to golf. And what a lot of people don't know is that the Aimpoint Express Read actually came from archery. Uh, it, it's a method that people use when they're targeting things with a bow and arrow to figure out how far away a target is. And we basically just flipped it on its side and used it for green reading. And then it evolved into the full Aimpoint Express Read you know now. And a lot of people don't know that, but that was not a that was not inspired by anything golf related. That was inspired by a guy who was a, a bow hunter, um, Rob Noel down in uh, Louisiana. So I, I love cross pollinating and germinating ideas into golf from other uh, activities and other sports and other disciplines, because a lot of times we can learn about a lot and to get better at what we do. Um, Gareth, what is your impression about that being our, our resident mental experts? I always love to hear what you say about that, but I, I, I always make a real big point to think about how things work in other fields and how does that apply to the field I'm currently working in? Mark, you broke up there. So I'm not sure who you just called in. Oh, I called you in. Oh, great. I mean, I, I got up to cross-pollination and all of a sudden I'm, I'm you know, creating various imagery in my mind and, and then you started to break up. So <laughs> um, <laughs> I, think, I think, you know, breakthroughs come when, when you take things that are not necessarily in theory related and you do exactly what you've just described with Aimpoint Express. You have that, that moment of cross-pollination and um, you, you break, performance plateaus or you you come up with different concepts or, or ways of uh, changing that which is the current norm which is wonderful but I would also say in terms of people who have been successful athletes in other uh, codes oftentimes when I talk to them about golf they you know they go yeah, yeah I know how to make a ball curl with x or y but golf is different and I'm like why is it different they're going because the ball's not moving or it's just harder or or they'll start to go into this really detailed, no, sorry, they'll request a really detailed description on how to make something happen. And my answer always is your brain knows how to make a ball curve. You've got a ball, you have an implement in your hands. It's what you have historically. What would you do if you had to do it on the hockey pitch, the Gaelic pitch, the hurling pitch, the, the baseball, is it called a pitch guys? What's it called? Field. Field, field. of course it's a field. It'd have to be different. Uh, baseball field. <laughs> all those things and they're like yeah yeah but it doesn't apply to golf and i'm like it totally applies to golf because you're basically trying to get a you know a hint of let's say for example for curvature side tilt on a sphere and once you can apply that in any sport you can apply that in every sport in my humble opinion and people just simply tend to overthink this rather than simply transfer uh capabilities and abilities and resources that they have evolved and developed elsewhere and just utilize them right right um brian what what is your experience that you're a college golf coach for most of your life after puberty so i don't know how much experience you we have with other sports <laughs> but what, what 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 have what has been your experience with that well i think uh yeah understanding sport is sport right it, it's managing people it's managing expectations it's 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 so all sports cross-pollinate, you see in Mark Sweeney terms, right? So I think a lot, if I look at this more from the coach's side, kind of what you talked about is if you've coached other sports, and I have, I played a bunch of sports growing through, you know, puberty. And then from that, I actually, in high school, I actually coached uh, soccer, which is a, the worst sport on earth to coach because it's even more boring coaching it than actually watching it on TV. And, I, and then I did start coaching golf as well. So 
I think a lot of those things in life and, and in coaching, they, you know, they, they kind of go hand in hand. So for me, when I became a golf coach, I was completely unprepared to be a golf coach because I just started playing golf in high school. I didn't really ever play golf until then, never took a lesson, still haven't taken a, a true official lesson with a golf professional. Um, so you know, a lot of the, when I first took a coaching job, a lot of the stuff I kind of fell back on was what did I learn in the sports that I played? I played football and baseball growing up my whole life. So from that, what can I what could I apply from those sports to help a team? I might not have been the best ex of those teaching how to hit it better, but I could manage players very well get them ready to play, make sure we're prepared to play. And then I would apply a lot of the philosophies I learned from other sports. Like when you play against another team, you prepare for that team. Well, in golf, what do you do? You prepare for the golf course that's coming up. What does the golf course look like? How can we attack it? What do we got to watch out for? So you can take a lot of the pieces that you learn in other sports and prepping and golf is no different than any other sport, you know, your, your competitor is the golf course. You know, it's not like I can scream and yell or tackle a guy as he's swinging. So I can't play defense. So I've got to learn to be able to move around a golf course, see that as my competition, and then come up with a plan for each player how to attack that. And then again, to me, you know, team golf is completely a different monster in itself, right? Um, most golf coaches, almost all golf coaches I've ever met played golf their whole life. That's it. They didn't really play other sports so they come in with a very individualistic, you know, they treat everything as an individual, but then all of a sudden you go to college golf and it's all team oriented, right? And a lot of coaches struggle with understanding how to manage a team. Uh, so again, it's being able to take, if you've played other team sports, being able to take that inside of the, the college team and say, all right, we have to move a group of people, keep them in a cohesive unit so we can achieve a goal because if we're not a team and we're not cohesive, a la the American Ryder Cup squads many times, we <laughs> bad things can end up. So again, I think the beauty is, and for any coaches out there that are kind of in the golf world or starting, rely on past experience of other sports and read others. I love to read coaches' books from different sports because one, golf books suck traditionally. Hmm. They're, they're awful. But if you go into other sports and read about athletes and teams and things along that lines there's a lot to be learned that you can apply to become a better coach not a better swing technician per se but you could be a better coach being able to manage people that way yeah i agree i i mean i have i have pulled analogies from other sports so sometimes when we're doing a um feeling slope and and doing the bailey method read which you invented mr bb um and you're standing you're bending one leg and people are not getting it and if they have experienced snow skiing for example i'll say well if you're standing on the side of the mountain at 90 degrees what's your what are you doing with your higher leg and you're bending it and you're standing on your lower leg they go like oh got it um and i've used sailing analogies with for wind and grain and things and sailors get it and non-sailors don't get it at all they just go don't just talk about and you got to kind of move on from there so um Let's go listen to JoJo's interview, and then uh, we'll come back and have a chat about some of the things he says. How about that? It's time to enjoy In the Hunt conversation because context matters. All right. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. We have a special guest, JoJo Morasco, who is a good friend of mine, who is a uh, world-famous lacrosse player. And uh, following a friend that I, I like to really bring in people who are non-golf people in, to, well, he, he's a golfer, 
but people who are really excelled at some sport or some activity outside of golf and kind of bring in their expertise um, to help us understand how to train and how to be better performers in golf. And JoJo's a perfect example because he was he played lacrosse at the highest level. Uh, he went to Syracuse. He was a uh, first-team All-American. He uh, the 2013 Biggest Midfielder of the Year. Um, he was also a member of the 2014 and 18 Team USA Men's Lacrosse. And he also played pro, pro lacrosse. Uh, in the PLL, and he also set the Division One midfield assist record in 2013, and is still unbroken. Uh, oh, that's number, a good. Yeah, but wore the famous number 22 at Syracuse, and as we know him, uh, JoJo 22. So uh, we're thrilled to have him here, and I'm going to pick his brain about performance and training um, because he has played at the very highest level and set all kinds of records. Um, and I played a lot of golf with him also, so. Thank you for yeah, coming on the show, Joe Joe. Well, thanks for having me and uh, Game Forge and, and Mark, you being, uh, you know, a good friend and someone that's, uh, you know, so high up in the golf world as well. So it's, it's, it's an honor to be here. Yeah, thanks, man. I mean, the, the biggest thing I kind of want to dig into you on is, is somebody like you who has far exceeded your average athlete. So, you know, in high school and college, you set all kinds of scoring records. Um, I've, met, I've met guys who are in college now who still know about you and they're like, yeah, I had his poster on my wall when I was a kid. Um, you know, it takes a lot to, to excel to that level. And, and, and certainly talent is part of it. But I think there's a, there's a lot more than talent also. And what I'd like to kind of get into with you is, you know, where do you, what do you think really set you apart besides being talented in terms of training, coaching, grit? Um, you know, just kind of what, is, what do you feel like you did differently than other guys to just be able to do laps around them? Well, I was always blessed, you know, with, with some talent, but it, it, I always heard that, you know, uh, you got to put that extra work in, that hard work. And you ask any of my friends, my parents, uh, you know, training every day after school and going to a trainer. I had this amazing trainer, Glenn, in high school. And, you know, I went with a couple of my buddies who actually ended up playing D1 too. But uh, if you ask my parents, you know, at night, I'd come home even after, you know, going to lacrosse practice and then hockey at night. And then I'd come home and, you know, eat like a 10, 10 11 o'clock dinner. And then I'd be down in the garage stick handling or, in the wall for lacrosse until, you know, 12, one o'clock. And my dad would have to come down. He's like, man, I'm just trying to go to sleep. You know, He's like, dude, cut it out. <laughs> wait, yeah. You just, uh, I mean, I, I got addicted, you know, you, you put the, the time in and it started showing there's, you know, I always wanted to be that guy who was the best player on the field or the best player on the ice or, and I didn't want anyone. I didn't want it kind of got in my head where, you know, if I saw someone that was doing better, I'd start practicing their moves into where I, I was doing better than them. So I always just took it to the next level and I would not stop until, you know, I made my craft perfection and, and, and dialed it in and it gave me the, you know, the blessed opportunity to play at Syracuse and play, you know, one of the best teams in the world. And, you know, we went to a championship and lost Duke in the championship. And then I got to play seven years in the pros, you know, in the MLL and the PLL and team USA and got to travel to uh, Japan twice and, you know, be out there. So it, it's given me such a great opportunity to travel world fat too. So that was a big part of that. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fascinating psychology where whether that comes internally from the person, but when you when you think I I'm not as good as I could be, and somebody's out there is beating me, and I need to figure out what they're doing. And I know you teach my boys lacrosse, especially Ryan. And, you know, and I've told them if you're getting your ass kicked out there, go figure out what they're doing to kick your ass. You know, and go out and figure out what their moves are, what their strategy is, and use that as as a method to actually get better, not just to feel beat up. Yeah, and a big thing too, just like that. And, and you know, I was I was always watching, you know, the NHL and, and or any lacrosse highlights. You know, these kids are so blessed now with YouTube, and you know, I didn't really have that, so I was able to watch like you know, a clip of the famous Mikey Powell played Syracuse and Paul Rabel, who 
who's one of the greatest lacrosse players ever. And, you know, there's just one or two highlights and I'll just watch those every night and then kind of just study that and, you know, try to master their moves and, and, you know, just constantly watching and want, and trying to figure out, you know, there's a reason why these guys are the best in the world. And, and I tried to, you know, base my training after them and, you know, just, just everything that they did, I wanted to do better. So I wanted to be, have that opportunity. And, you know, then I was, had the opportunity to, you know, play with some of you guys in the pros and it was just always trying to do that extra thing. You know, I was never satisfied. And if, if you know, if I had a bad game, I went right back to the drawing board and, and try to fix that. And, you know, I was a big proponent of studying, studying film and, and, and things like that where it helped me so much to realize I knew the game better than in my mind than anyone else on the field. And I was always two kind of plays or two steps ahead of everyone. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I used to train with a guy in another sport who was one of the best in the world. And that's what he always said. He said, I used to just, he said he never had a lesson in his life, but he went out and just watched other people and he watched what the good people did and just, and just figured it out and made it work for himself. But a huge part of it was, Hey, there's, there's people out there already performing at this level. Why not learn from them, see what they're doing, try to get inside their heads, see how they're thinking. Uh, and you're right with YouTube. It's unbelievable because you can go out and watch highlights from anything anywhere pretty much and just try to absorb what those moves are and what the strategies are well yeah and it's too like you know I, i've listened to your podcast uh, a lot and how intelligent yeah. you guys are and, and things just like that you know now not playing anymore i'm, I'm just a, uh, you know i'm coaching and and training and all these kids and like i want to be the next you know i want to give them the next thing that i didn't get to learn and things like that and when it comes to golf and you know being a very very amateur golfer but i love it more than anything is <laughs> you know i'm able i'm able to learn from you guys i'm able to go on youtube with these you know, all these guys, like the good, good guys and all the pros are like DeChambeau's doing stuff and they're just watching them and things like that. You know, I've never had a lesson in golf, but I'm able to hang with, you know, a lot of the big guys and have these opportunities to play with, you know, some great golfers because they know I have a decent game. And and, and it's just me in my mind, too, is the same thing when I was playing, you know, lacrosse and hockey and football and stuff is, you know, I, didn't, I never wanted to be that guy out there where I'm, I'm letting someone down or, you know, playing with people that, they're like, oh, why, why is this guy out there? Like, they want me, like, I wanted them to want me to be out there. So just things like that, that, you know, it's so amazing now with, with, with social media and, and uh, you know, Instagram and all these things and YouTube, it's just great. Yeah, and do you think that's something that was just kind of inborn or do you think that, did you pick up that attitude from a parent or a coach or just, you know, from, are you, uh, or from being a sibling or something, just that drive? Because I know that drive because I know for myself, you know, with Aimpoint, if I ever thought somebody, First of all, I was never, ever satisfied that it was good enough. And then if I ever thought somebody could do something to rival, I wouldn't go to sleep at night. I'd be like, there's no way I'm going to get beat at, at, at this. There's no way. Um, no, 100%. And, you know, just things like that. You know, my, we, my mom is, uh, her whole side's all military. My brother went to West Point. He was a year older and, or two years older. And to see kind of, you know, his mental aspect and, and what he did to, you know, be there and always perform and things like that always helped. My dad, you know, was a Wall Street guy and then, you know, had a couple of big companies and, to watch how he worked, it kind of put that in my mind. If, if they're doing that, you know, all day with four kids and being able to wake up in the morning and, and take care of us and then drive us these practices, you know, and they're spending a lot of money, I didn't want to let them down. So things like that, where it gives you, you know, I wanted them to know that their money was going to the right thing. They're not just out there for, uh, you know, just for fun. Like, I mean, it's fun, obviously, but, you know, I wanted to be the best and, and I wanted to make them happy and, and that drive. Just call it, my mom's nickname, she's one of the greatest ladies, nice people of all time, but we call her the general. You know, the general, that that's right. <laughs> and I, I kind of kept, kept that same, you know, motive uh, throughout my life where, I, you know, I, I like to wake up early. I like to make sure I, I never be late. That, that really kills me if that ever happens. And, you know, you want to you want to show the people that you're with or just when it comes to business or sports or coaching, any of that. You want to show them that you're on time, you're ready to go and, you know, you're prepared. And being prepared was a huge thing for me. 
Yeah, that's cool. And, and you do a lot of coaching now. You ch you coach my son. You coach a, a lot of kids. You coach on the lacrosse team. You're the coach of the lacrosse team at, uh, at Windermere Prep. When you're coaching younger kids, what are the challenges there in terms of uh, instilling that drive or, or getting them to practice and to train the way that you kind of know they need to train? Um, you know, how, how is that a challenge? I, you know, just like going back to that whole social media thing now, you know, these kids have all these opportunities, but it's kind of, you know, it's changed a lot, especially with the younger kids and, and you know, playing at such a high level and, and having those opportunities. And I had to work for it, you know what I mean? And, and these kids are very blessed with, you know, getting the nicest sticks, getting the nicest gear, and, but it's always been doing that extra work. And, and uh, you know, I listened to a lot of podcasts from uh, the NHL with some of the coaches realizing with the younger kids, you know, it's a different generation. So you got to find a way to coach with them. You know, they're not going to accept that old school, what we went through, you know, getting yelled at and, you know, yeah, the coach the got yelled at <laughs> yeah, just just the coaches in your face and, and uh, you know, not really explaining what you did wrong, just knowing that you made a mistake. And now, you know, my coaching has always been a huge thing is, you know, getting the kid off and, and talking to him on the side, showing what he did wrong in film or, or just working with them in different ways. And I think just being, you know, being a teacher helps a lot because I'm working with, you know, middle school kids and, and it's a whole different, you know, battle this, now, you know what I mean? So they, they got to, they learn a different way and, you know, I'm yeah. going to be tough on them and I expect a lot, but at the same time, I got to, really show them because I want them, you know, looking back in 20 years saying, you know, Jojo, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. And I always think about that because there's coaches like Paul Carcaterra, you know, he's a big time ESPN guy. And I, I would meet him at five 30. I'd drive, uh, you know, 45 minutes just to train with him in the morning. He went out of his way, even though he's, you know, building two companies and, and doing ESPN working for them and giving me that opportunity. If I didn't have that, I would never be where I'm at today. So I try to do the same thing now as a coach. Yeah, that's awesome. And a lot of people listening to this podcast are, are golf coaches, and we and we teach a lot of juniors, or very highly competitive juniors and amateurs. Um, I'd say a big percentage of my students are, you know, college level and below, um, and they definitely learn different. You know, it's it's definitely not the case where you can just be a drill sergeant and and say, you know, do this and don't ask questions. Um, you know, versus that's kind of the way I, we were probably brought up when we were when we were playing. Yeah. Kid. You know, I would just say it doesn't matter why you just do what I tell you and shut up. You know, that's kind of that's yeah, yeah, yes, 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 sir. yes, sir. I won't do it again, right? Kind yeah, of and that just that. that just doesn't work anymore. So, so you know, you're trying to create a training program. So, when when you're creating a training program for for your team, let's say, how do you pick apart the skills? Um, is it an individual level? Is it a the team as a whole needs to get better? At different skills. Like, how do you how do you design your weekly training? Um, to get the skills you need. So like in golf, we know kind of what the skills are we need and we, we can pick those apart. How do you do that in a, in a team environment? Well, that, that's the challenge, which I love about coaching is especially with my team is, you know, we got some talent and then we got some, you know, a lot of younger guys that are still learning the game and, on a, you know, on a lacrosse field, you want to mix everyone in. You don't want people, you know, constantly sitting out and, you know, you're not getting the reps, but at the same time, you don't want those kids, we call them drill killers. You know what I mean? Where you don't want them to, you know, they're going to let down that speed of the play. So, the challenge is, you know, every every day or night or morning, I'm trying to come up with a practice plan. But you have to also know that that you know play or that that um, what, um, what you're trying to do is not going to work. So you have to change it up on them and, and do things like that. And uh, just constantly, you know, I'm, I'm t talking to my coaches. I'm watching new things like on YouTube where different drills that will work with both. And at the same time, you know, you only got two hours out there on the field, so you want to give them everything that they can to be prepared for the next game. But at the same time, you got to make sure that they're getting their stick work in, working on their shooting form, uh, learning the game. That's that's a huge thing that, you know, I promote and teach is watching lacrosse so they can, you know, they I can't be that player on the field. I can't coach them on the field. I can't do, you know, play for them, I say all the time. And they got to do that on their own. 
So that, that's been always a big, big thing is just kind of trying to give them a, a game plan and then giving them the opportunity in, in ways that each player individually is going to, it's going to work for the team. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, you know, one of the problems that we always say about golf is that, you know, kids get out there and they get on the, they get on the practice tee and they're learning full swing and they do a lot of swing work, but they don't necessarily learn the game. And the only way you learn the game is to go out there and, and play and have people walk you through it and have, and have people who are really good golfers say, here's how they would attack the course. Here's how they would attack different holes. And we don't see as much of that. We, we, you know, we always worry that there's just too much time on the lesson team versus, you know, exactly what you said. You got to learn the game. You really want to excel at the game. You got to learn the game. You got to learn how, how the game plays, how the, how the strategy plays out and not just, I need a pretty swing. Yeah. We, we see it all the time. You know, these kids can, you know, like that, you know, they're, they're practicing, but they're, they're by themselves. You know, there's, we always say when the lights go on, you see who really can show up. And, you know, we, we have guys that are some of the best practice players I've ever seen, but when it goes into the game, it's like they've never played the game before. So, and, and that happens in golf all the time. You know, you got to be able to yeah, learn. Totally. You got you to you see the course. You got to, you know, the greens or how fast they are, how slow they are, and reading them and, 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 you know, the wind and all those things that go into those factors. And it's the same thing in lacrosse, man. You know, you got to know your team you're playing against. You got to, like we say, see the game. So you got to see the head of the game. And a lot of the times, that's what we struggle with at, at even at Windermere Prep. And, you know, I coach a very talented eighth grade team uh, for Srelax and, and we travel the country, but, you know, you play these bigger teams that just, you know, they're just very well coached and, and, and you got it, you're going through that challenge. And especially in Florida, you know, even though we can play all year round, these kids, you know, they have, they're not focused. They don't know the game in a way that, you know, that's why they, you know, they bring guys in like us where we can teach that and, and give them that opportunity because, you know, I'll say things to them, and in my mind, I think it's like the easiest thing of all time. But yeah. now it's like the hardest math equation they've ever heard. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. How do you, uh, you know, one thing that we try to do a lot when we're teaching putting is we're trying to stimulate the stress uh, of playing competitive golf, and it's hard to do on the putting green for me, and it's probably hard to do on the practice tee for for full swing coaches. But obviously, stress is is a is a factor in any sport. Um, not just stress, but what do you do when you're getting your butt kicked and you need to, you know, to get out there and try to get your get your goals back? How do you um, stimulate or how do you guide them through that to try to make them mentally tougher and create some grit with players? Yeah, that's, that's a huge thing, especially with the um, I'm having to bring up the mental aspect. And that was a huge thing when I was playing pros. And, you know, I'm sitting next to some of the, you know, guys have scored the most points in college history, uh, setting records in the pros. But these most talented guys in the world, but when it comes to the mental part, you know, you get them in the locker room and it's like, they're, they go back to being in like third grade. And they always <laughs> love coming to me because they're like, always they're like Jojo, how are you so calm? Like how I'm because I, I was always taught next play and always make that next play. You know, you're going to miss in golf. You're going to miss putt. It's going to even five footers. It happens. You know, I, I play all the time. And that's why I love the game because the mental aspect, it's all in your head. You're there and um, you can either, you know, let it get to you and, and then you're going to have a bad round or, if you can, you know, let it go and, and then you focus on the next play or next, you know, next drive and you want to start, you go play by play. So the same thing with us, you know, these kids, you know, they're going to make mistakes. And, and, and I preach that and I want them to make a mistake. Just next time, don't do it again. Don't do the same thing. <laughs> right. Don't, do, but, but, don't but, just keep repeating but, it. But yeah, in a good way, like now you've learned your lesson, but don't go out there now. You know, you know, it, that, that play, if you do that again, it, it can, it can be the difference between, you know, win 10, nine and losing 10, nine. And, and that's a huge aspect. Just, you know, calm them down, let them know that, you know, they made that mistake, but you know, you, you prepared for this and you're talented and you, you put all this practice and work in it and you got to, you know, that's where you makes you, takes you to the next level is putting that in your mind that, you know, you are one of the best. And, and I try to preach that with them all the time. And because once they get down, you can see it, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, your facial expressions. And, and we try to really yeah, preach that. Body language. And 
yeah, body language is huge. Don't raise your hands. Don't, you know, don't walk off the field. You know, and that, that comes back with the, you know, my military side of my family, not me personally, but my parents and my brother and my uncles and, and stuff like that is, you know, you just, if, if you make that mistake again, it could be life or death. You know what I mean? So it's, it's things like that. Yeah. Trying to really focus and, and just having that kind of, you know, blank sheet in your mind where, yeah, that, you made that mistake, but boom, you're on the next play. Yeah, I, uh, I had a coach once that the, the worst thing you could do for him is get sulky about something. So if you made a mistake and you sulked about it, he, he'd walk off. He'd be like, I'm not coaching anymore. He goes, he goes you're going to make mistakes. That's fine. Get better. Try to do it. But don't don't get down and sulky on yourself. Freaking get back in a game. And he hated that. And the, I did that one time to him and he just ripped me to shreds. I was like, <laughs> oh, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. And then I felt like you needed something like, you're right, I was sulky. That's just like ridiculous to act like that. And you're never going to be a world-class athlete if you're going to sulk over making mistakes. No, 100%. And, and you know, just in the golf world, you know, they, you don't have helmets on. So, you know, everyone sees your face. They see what, right. what you're doing out there and, and things like that, you know, helps in lacrosse once in a while. But now with, you know, like I said, social media and, and with the TV, it's on everywhere now for sports. And, and it, that's a huge thing. Is, and that, that's what we preach is, you know, you got you to carry yourself as a world-class athlete, even if you're not. Your goal is always to show that you're you're stepping on that field. You're mentally prepared, you're physically prepared, and you want to make that the people on the other side know that you came here, you know, for war, came here to play. And you're not gonna once you if I see a defenseman out there, if I beat him, and then he's like slamming his stick and and hanging his head, I'm gonna attack that guy for the rest of the game. You, you own know? him. You own him at that point, right? Yeah, and 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 that's what I try to preach to you know all my players, my students, and you know you're not gonna if even eventually these kids are gonna be in the workforce and. You know, you show up to work and, and you know, you're, you're given attitude to, you know, a higher level person. It's, it's yeah, see it right now, right? They're yeah. not going to take that. So. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Do, you, do you set up any specific drills or fail, failure drills, what we call them in golf, where you specifically give them something that they basically can't uh, beat just to see how they, how they react to it? So, we'll, you know, we'll do some putting, you know, uh, challenges that are almost impossible to complete just to see what the reaction is see if their process changes, see what their emotion, how their emotions change, their timing. Uh, is there anything similar like that in lacrosse? Yeah, so, you know, I try to do a lot of my, my drills based on things that would happen in the game. For instance, we do a six on uh, a five drill. We start six on six, so that's how it would be with the offense and defense. And uh, we'll, we'll have an issue where, like, say the, the defenseman, I'll call out a defenseman's name, and he's got to run all the way to the sideline. So then when the offense is six on five, and you guys see how the defense is going to react. See if they're going to come together, get in the box, and and – see how they're going to play a man down for, you know, 20 seconds and things like that. And we do a lot of like, you know, three, three on fours where now the offense is down and they can, now the defense can double. And, you know, you're probably, you know, when that happens, it's a very good chance you're going to lose the ball and you see how these guys, you know, what happens after that? Are they going to chase the guy down and get back out there? Or are they just going to kind of, you know, drop the ball and, you know, let the defense kind of laugh at you, things like that. So we definitely do certain things like that. We do a lot of ground ball drills where it is a one-on-one battle versus each other. And if, if you don't win that, you know, all the other guys are going to be yelling and that's on you. Like it happened to us in the game the other day, you know, a couple of guys just not going for ground balls. And that, that was a difference from us getting the ball and clearing and being offense and us giving up four goals. Right. Right. Yeah. I, uh, a coach I had once says practice has always got to be harder than competition. And he would, he would do drills that would practically make you cry. But then when you actually went into competition, everything felt easy. No. And, and yeah, we did the same thing just, just in the past three weeks with, you know, running and, you know, I, I've been each year I learn more and more. And then I saw last year, you know, I didn't really get on them enough where, you know, they make mistakes. They need to learn from those mistakes and we we'll get them on the line. And, you know, it's not kind of a thing where like they're in trouble. It's more, you know, that's, this is going to happen in the game. If you turn over the ball, 
you can be stuck on defense now three, four minutes. And that's a grind. If you're running back yeah. and forth, it's, it's, it's not fun. And, you know, I, I try to make it even with the running where they're thinking they're in the game. So we do uh, high, fast-paced drills. But at the same time, you got to do some running. And it, it's actually really helped us. And, you know, we scrimmaged Ryan's team uh, last week, and they didn't realize, you know, that we're, you know, we're pretty fast and strong, and we were in pretty good shape. We were able to re- fight for the ground balls. And, you know, they're, they're a school that's got, you know, two, three, 4,000 people in their school where we got 1,600 kids in, in our whole school, K through 12. Right, so, you know, right. Things like that. And, and, you know, that we're trying to command respect, but I gave them the opportunity. That, so when they do step on that field, they were in better shape, which was a huge thing for us because it, it's not fun when they're out there running. But I just constantly preach, like, listen, you're going to realize when you're in this game, like, thank God we did all that running. Right, right. You, so you, you played with a lot of great players, obviously, uh, even up through your pro career. What is there any qualities that you've noticed that, you know, even if they're intangible that some of these guys have um, that just make them stand apart from everybody else? Yeah, just, you know, the physical aspect and, you know, how they eat and how they train and, and the mental part. And, but things like that, you know, I mean, I really got to learn, you know, these guys, even though now professionally, these, a lot of these guys that are still playing in the PLL are now able to just do across. In my first, you know, three, four years, these guys are working desk jobs in New York City. They're, you know, they're doing all different things. And to see how they were able to keep their bodies in such good shape. And, and you know, you get in that locker room and you're just like, man, what is this guy doing? You know, and things like that. I was constantly trying to pick the brains of the older guys that have been in the league for a long time. Because in, in the pro league, you know, there's only the top 140 guys in the world. And uh, if you don't perform every single game, you're out of there. So I saw that happen done, a lot. Yeah. You know, there's some of the best college players, but – they didn't keep, you know, they didn't keep in shape. They didn't, didn't do the right things. They're out partying. And, and uh, you know, people see that. And, and it shows on the field too, man. You, you only play once a week. So if you're not doing those things on the side, like it goes back to even, you know, I started training at a really young age. You got to keep doing it. And that's, you know, you look at some of these guys, you know, like a Sidney Crosby or Alex Ovechkin, you know, they're, they're 35 years old and still performing at the highest level because of, you know, how they take care of their bodies and, and what they do. And they're constantly evolving each year. And it's a huge thing. And that helped me with a lot, like a guy like Rob Pinnell, man, that guy is, you know, there's a reason he's, um, I don't know if he's top three or number one or two, but for most points ever, he's still playing because, yeah, I mean, you see any of his Instagram, the guy's in ridiculous shape. He's, ne- he's never not training. And it shows. Just a, just a way of life, basically. Not, yeah, I've got to go do this. I don't feel like it. No, this is just a way of life. Yeah, and it's not easy. You know, I mean, like, you know, we, we go play a game and then, you know, we're, my first pro team, we're, we're out of. Long Island, but you know we're, we can go party every night in New York City for a week. You know what I mean? And we just <laughs> got to find a way to. It's pretty easy to go out there. You know it's I mean? very but, easy to do. <laughs> yeah. So it's so things like that. You know, we do that, and but that was I was blessed being at school because you know we got a great weight room, we got a great, straight a great strength coach in Mike Kurtz, and he gives me the opportunity. I go in there anytime. But and when when you're not with a team all week, you have to do it on your own, and that was the toughest thing from 24 to 28 because I'm in a very nice area. I, I, I'm making a lot of friends and being able to find that way where it's, you got to say no and, and things like that. You know, listen, man, I, this is my time. I want to perform. I want to keep playing for a long time. And if, if, if you said I can just, you know, call someone and, and be like, Hey, let's, let's go get drinks. But it was, that was a tough, you know, tough thing, but I learned from these guys and it showed. That's why I had the opportunity to play seven, eight years in the pros. Yeah. I mean, that takes a special maturity level at that age when you don't have parents or coaches telling you what to do, but you've got to, you got to keep it together. Yeah. And, you know, you want to, you want to keep that thing too. You know, you're starting to get on TV and you want to perform and, you know, just even being at, you know, a school, you know, very smart kids and, you know, they're all, they're all watching me play. And, you know, if I score one goal, they're like, what's your problem? I'm like, oh, like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> what's wrong with you, coach? <laughs> we, we won. I played great. He's like, yeah, but you should be scoring three, four goals. I'm like, all right, well, 
now I got to train again this week to make sure. I get right, right, back. right. Getting, right. getting roasted by a couple of middle school kids. Yeah, nothing better than that, huh? <laughs> no, no, no. Story of my life. <laughs> so, uh, so, so you play golf, obviously. We play golf, and, and, and uh, you love playing golf, right? How, what, what is it that you learn from lacrosse that you can carry straight over to golf to help you be a, a good golfer? Well, well, golf was the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, my dad belonged to an amazing course growing up, and I never played. I, I hit the ball. Uh, you know, I used lefty clubs, and, you know, the whole family's righty. And I just never – I was playing so much hockey, and I wanted to play at the highest level that, you know, on Sundays after playing, you know, you know two games that weekend, he'd kind of be like, let's go, let's go to the course, and I just want to drive the cart. And then when I came down here 10 years ago, I was able to go out with some of these guys that, you know, play all the time, and it changed my life. And, and I was able to – just like I said earlier – once I start picking something up, I want to be the best at it. And, uh, but it helped me so much, especially after retiring, because it gives you that, you know, that same drive to, you know, be a great player, but you're also, it's all in your head. You're, you're playing golf by yourself. You're out there lining up. You need to do the right thing every time. Cause if you take either, you know, one second off your swing, you're not going to get that shot that you wanted and things like that were that I love where, you know, you bring in the math aspect and you got to see how far you're going to hit it with the wind and, and, you know, you're out of the sand. It's all different things where, if you don't know or study that, you're not going to have a good round and, and things like that. And, you know, I've talked to you a couple of times, just helping with putting and, and learning that. And it, it's just the aspect of how difficult the game can be. But if you put the oh, work yeah. in, how so, it, can, it can. It's so multidimensional. I mean, there's so many skills you've got to get. You've got to train to really get good at it. Oh, it's unbelievable, man. And then, like, like I said, uh, you know, you can. And the coolest thing about golf is, you know, you can have a bad shot and it goes back to that mental thing. But all of a sudden, you you pure an iron, and it changes your life. You're like, this is why I play this sport. You know what I mean? Let's Things go. like that. There's exactly. no better feeling than, than rip, ripping one down the middle and then, you know, getting lucky and, and, and it landed on the green the second shot. So things like that is just, you know, that's that's been my biggest thing. And, and just the opportunity of golf where, you know, I watch it religiously on TV. I have my the YouTube TV records all the time, and I get to watch, you know, the best players in the world and, and things like that. And. I've had the opportunity to work with guys like you who's one of the best in the game for putting and guys, other guys like Sean Foley and some guys like that, that, you know, they just, these kids are, I teach these kids and then they have the, the greatest opportunity where we're at in Orlando, you know, there's a golf course every five miles. Yeah. So if, if you, if you want to get better, you, it's, it's all on you and, and things like that. Is, and it's just, you know, it kind of gives you, it's like my happy place out there. You know, just, yeah. You know, yeah you totally. And I play golf with you. You're loads of fun to play golf with. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you know, you know, you definitely, you definitely have a love for the game. And yeah, people always love golfing me too because they're like, especially if I, you know, get the opportunity to play with other guys I've ever met and, and stuff. They're always saying they're like, man, you can bring this guy anytime because no matter what, he's always just got that energy and he, he's, he's, you can tell he's a coach because he's constantly telling you next one, next one, things like that. Right, 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 right. And you play some amazing golf courses with your buddies. Yeah, I've been blessed. You know, uh, Nick O'Leary's become a good friend now. He's Jack Nick's grandson and he's got us down at Lost Tree and the Bears Club down there and. You know, up here, we, you know, you got Kings Point and Islesworth and, and uh, some, of the, some of these courses are just so pure. And uh, Brian Carter has got me back when we're in New York. We get to play um, Sleepy Hollow and stuff like that. So it just. Yeah, been, yeah. That's the Sleepy coolest Hollow. thing. To, yeah, it's beautiful. And it's the coolest thing is where golf's taken me where, you know, I never thought I'd have this opportunity. And, and just because I put the work in and, and, you know, all these things are, you know, I, I've gotten to travel the world and, and every place I go to, I want to try to play a course there, you know, to see the different types of grass and greens and and it's cool that you know the difference between like bermuda grass and another one and things like that it's just an, an awesome opportunity you can really see how hard these architects design these courses and, and to play some of the tough ones really makes you realize why how the, some of these pros are so good yeah well what, what what what's very clear to me is that you've taken 
the way you study the game with lacrosse and you apply it exactly the same way to golf as far as watching videos, watching the best in the world, working with whoever you can best in the world, just understanding the game at a deep level. Um, that, that, that's a real champion mindset. Yeah, no. And, and, and the best thing that's like, like I said, I've never had a lesson. I, I mean, a lesson as in you and I going out there playing, having fun and you show me little things at the end point, but then I got to do it on my own. Whereas like you, you guys produce such great opportunities on game forge and then uh, through aim point just on my own to figure that out. Once you, you know, you gave me the basics and then things like that, then I could figure out. And, and, and it's just, it's such an awesome opportunity with things like that. Yeah. Cool. Well, listen, we really appreciate you having on here, uh, having you on here. I, you know, I've watched you coach for, you know, 10 years or whatever, and obviously know you very well. And, and it's, there, there's a, there's a mindset that people at your level have, um, that a lot of people don't have. And, it, and it's really important. I think that people just kind of be able to pick your brain and understand the way you think. Um, so we appreciate you having on, uh, greatly appreciate you having you on here. And we'll have yeah, you back man, again, for sure. Well, if people want to get in touch yeah. with you, how, how can they uh, do that? Yeah, just um, on my Instagram, it's just uh, Jojo Morasco 22 and, and uh, through there. And, um, you know, I, I've got a lot of, if you go on YouTube, there's plenty of highlights and things like that. If you ever want, if any of you guys want to yeah. watch the process of any. But golf-wise, you know, hopefully I can step up and get, maybe create a YouTube channel eventually if I get good enough. Yeah, we're still trying to get on the good, good guys. So maybe, maybe, maybe we'll yeah, get we on there. Out. I'm still we working on that one. Uh, if we pull that off, Aimpoint's going to go through the roof. Yeah, let's go. Um, anyway, thank, thank you so much yeah, for thank coming you so on much, the show. Man. And I'll be seeing you soon. Yeah, I can't wait to see you, man. And, and thank you to GameForge and you guys and Aimpoint and everything. And, you know, it's a, a blessed opportunity to be talking to you and being a good friend and, and having this opportunity to, you know, expand my knowledge and, and help anyone that's out there listening. Awesome. Thank you. All right, Timbo. All right, guys. Well, you know, one of the things that really struck me, one of the several things that really struck me about JoJo's interview, um, and what always fascinates me is when I, you know, pretty pressed him on what what does he think put him above the average player and made him break all these scoring records. And one of the main things he said was he never wanted anybody to be better than him. And he goes, no matter how many hours it took or, or what I had to do. And I come home after a practice and I still go out and start throwing balls against the wall or stick handling. Cause he could have also played pro hockey. And I was like, well, you made a stupid choice there going lacrosse versus pro hockey, but okay, we'll come back Economically, to that. Yes. <laughs> I always give him crap about that, but he ended up being again, a world-class lacrosse player. And it was an, and he said, you know, I never, ever wanted to anybody to be better. I always wanted to be the best at it. And my big question there would be, is that an internal motivation or can a coach give that to somebody? And I don't, I think that's largely internal because I feel the way I feel that way about certain things in my life where I'm like, don't you, I'm not going to let anybody be better at me at certain things and other things. I just don't care at all. You know what I mean? So maybe it's finding your, your drive or your passion, but I, I would imagine that most world-class athletes that are setting records all over the place have a very similar motivation where they just refuse to not be the best. And, and what comes with that is having to put the work in, understand a strategy, um, you know, and spend the, spend the hours. And obviously it's not just hours, but if you're not willing to, to spend the extra hours, you'd have to rely a lot on talent. Gareth, what do you, how do you filter that? What do you think? Mark, can I just can I just clarify here? You're saying you think that is internal or external? I think it's mostly internal. I don't know if I'm right, but that's my gut feel. I mean, the 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 motivation is external in terms of it's other people driving what's happening there. You would have to say, right? And 
Um, to be the best, you have to be comparing yourself to something or someone, and that something or someone will certainly be external. The internal, it would be the interpretation of what would happen if you didn't succeed in what you're what you're setting yourself out to attempt to succeed, which in this point in time is, I can't handle the pain of not being the best, um, or I can't handle the embarrassment or the frustration, whatever, whatever emotion they may have attached to that uh, would, would be critical. And, and that would be a fuel that they could keep on. And there's a little plug for fuel, folks. That would be a, a fuel that they could keep on feeding so that therefore, you know, day in, day out, there's a reason to get out of bed. There's somebody to hate. There's an, another hurdle to, to, to jump over and another shirt tail to grab a hold of. Um, and, and it's what behind that is, is literally giving them that motivation. That's, that can be very unique. That can be, as I say, it could be highly intrinsic in terms of I will not be embarrassed by that player ever again. I will prove to the world I am capable. And sometimes that's what people are setting out to do. Uh, or it could be I just want to see how far I can take my own physical and mental capabilities and, and my own talent uh, and challenge it to the highest levels that the world has ever seen. I think the, the key when it comes to mental performance, and Jojo is a brilliant interview because he, he talks very openly about what worked for him, is it's understanding there are no standard set of metrics here. There's no windows you have to be operating within. Uh, I've worked with players who are always working away from embarrassment because they just can't handle the thought of hitting a poor shot in front of a crowd for argument's sake. Uh, and I've worked with players who want to be that person who's holding up a trophy and crowds going wild and female or male, uh, you know, spectators throwing various pieces of their clothing at them going, yes, please. <laughs> and, and everything in between. So, um, yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. I think for, for the, for the, for the player listening, it's critical. You understand what works for you or what is motivating you. And it shouldn't be what your coach is telling you or your parents or your, your peers and for the coaches, it's critical you understand your players' buttons and why they do what they do and why they consistently show up and how to feed that in a manner which will allow them to continue to do so. Yeah, that's that's fascinating insight. I uh, it's almost like a lot of people need an antagonist out there. Without the antagonist, you might not have that motivation. Uh, I know I work better with an antagonist. And I certainly have plenty that have cropped up in my life, but it's it certainly motivates me to get my to get my game in order and then uh, spend a few more hours at the night getting stuff done. Brian, what do you see when you're when you're working with a team and you get some people that are super super intensely motivated and just will not let you beat them, and others that are just like yeah, it's a cool sunny day and I'm a decent golfer. I'm just going to go swing swing my clubs. Well, you recruit A and you avoid B. <laughs> um, no, I, again, it just goes back into that management of people. You've got to understand what what motivates. And you. And again, as a coach, I've got to understand player X likes to do things X, Y, Z. As long as they're performing, hitting the numbers as we want as a team, like you've got to give them that, that, that freedom and that pathway to be a little bit more nonchalant i know at virginia we had lauren Coughlin, who's playing on the lpga tour now she hated to practice hated workout but she could go on the golf course play lots of golf and loved it and learned to play golf and played great and we as a coaching staff had to change the way we taught her because if we put her kind of like nose in the grindstone you have to do it this way she would fail but if we put her in situations that were good for her and to perform uh, she became an All-American, now plays on tour, and, you know, we look like really smart golf coaches. But, you know, the traditional 
she wouldn't work extra hard at anything. She wouldn't put in the extra hours in training. That's not who she was. That wasn't kind of what made her up. But, you know, to her credit and, you know, the coaches staff credit, we figured that out. And then you had to manage the team because you had team members going, well, so-and-so's out there playing and, you know, not practicing nearly as hard as they are. And she's in the lineup. And then I say, beat her. We qualify, beat her. That's that's the right answer too. You're right. Yeah. But can you beat her? <laughs> can you beat her? Yeah, she she doesn't do things like you do, but can you beat her? And if you can beat her, I guarantee you I'll take you. Um, so I think again, you know, just understanding that each player is motivated a little bit differently. You know, you have the Michael Jordans, you know, the JoJo's. Everybody slighted me my whole life, and I I'm not gonna allow that to happen. And then again, you're gonna have some more quiet warriors that are you know, that just do it differently. And again, for me as a coach, I've got to be able to understand the motivations of my player and, and, and really uh, kind of move them. And I think the, I think the one part from JoJo's interview that I really enjoyed where he said, I just sat and studied other people that were experts in the field. I yeah, to me, I, that part just stood out. Yeah. I was going to bring that up next because that oh, really stood out. Yeah, because he, you know, JoJo teaches my son lacrosse and he's telling him all the time, get on YouTube and watch these guys. There's yeah. there he goes, there's world-class athletes doing this already. Go see what they do, figure out what they do, watch their strategy, watch their play. Now, what he's not saying necessarily is go watch their technique. You know, yeah. he's saying, How do they play the game? And, and that's what he kept saying. He goes, You got to learn how the game is played. And in golf, I wonder if we miss out too much on that. You know, we we watch we watch men and women swing on TV, but how often are they saying now here's how they're attacking this hole and here's the decision-making process. And here's this target. Here's the targeting on the green based on what score you need to make or whether you're a match player or whether you're trying to maximize birdies. I don't feel like I hear a whole lot of that with golf. No, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> either one of y'all jump in. Well, well, uh, okay. Well, you don't hear a whole lot of that with golf because that would mean people have done research and I see, have a, a depth of knowledge about what they're talking about beyond having, I don't know, nice hair, looking good in camera and maybe winning a PGA Tour event 30 years ago. Um, but just, I want to I go back before we go forward uh, because I, I also love some of the stuff that Jojo said. And, um, you know, going, going back to that concept of the external beating the guys and he spoke a lot about next play, next play. And I sent an interview by uh, TW recently to a player of mine, and he spoke about going to R Riviera and saying, you know, I believe I can beat the guys. I'm out here to beat the guys, beat the guys. And, and, and so the player sent me back a, a kind of list of questions. One of them was, he's always focusing on beating the guys. And I said, no, he's using that as motivation. But when he's playing, I can guarantee you he's focusing on the next play. So it's people sometimes get make the mistake of going, all he's ever doing on a golf course is trying to beat people up. He's not. He's brilliant at managing next play mentality, but his next play mentality is based upon over 72 holes. I can beat these guys if I stay in this way of thinking. And I think that gets lost a lot, Mark, and uh, how good Tiger was and, and what Jojo just said. It was brilliant. It's a great interview for any uh, code, for any athlete. They should be watching that and, and trying to pick up on those gems. And a lot of the times you've got to listen to this three, four, five times Take some notes yourself and you'll really start to find some nuggets. And, and I would recommend all the listeners do that. Brian, thanks for thanks for jumping in, by the way, with Mark's next question. 
Hey, no problem. <laughs> I've been hanging around Mark so long now. I can I can basically answer for him now. It's gotten that. Go that go bad. for it. I'm gonna sit here and you're, check you're a beautiful couple. You do that. Can I just say you're a beautiful couple? <laughs> check score. Beautiful couple. Thank you. <laughs> I gotta order some groceries while you're doing that. Um, so sorry, inside joke. Um, no, I, I really, again, the JoJo interview was, to me, was fascinating. Like I said, I think going and finding experts in your field, golfers, go watch what Tiger does. Watch what John Rahm's doing right now, which is, he literally is making history. I, he's not getting nearly the love he should. If You know, I just kind of did his video breakdown a couple of days ago, and and he's averaging since basically November of last year, about four under. Um, so he oh. is basically... Which he's won three events, which makes sense. That's but insane. you know, he, he he's literally doing something that I haven't seen since we started doing um a lot of this breakdown work inside of Game Forge. Now we weren't doing Tiger when Tiger was at his climax, you know, when when Tiger was just destroying everybody. But John Ron- Ron- peak, peak, peak or climax. Peak Both. is kind of what I was thinking. But I don't know. Sure. <laughs> sure. Four is yours. The eight iron, the eight iron shows up in a minute, so it's all good. The, the, the climax is over at that point. Uh, but, but really understanding that what he's doing is just it, this is something to behold. And we as a, you know, what is there to be learned about from John Rom? You know, what does he do as a an aspiring junior or as a collegiate or even a professional? What could I learn from John? You know, w- what components? Like he's a fiery dude, but does it destroy him? I'd say earlier in his career. It might have gotten his way, but he seems to now have been able to harness that that kind of anger and, and that emotion, and he puts it to more of a positive use. So I think, again, if you go back and look at all these different players, and you could even go to that other tour. I don't even know what it's called anymore. Um, okay. But there there are some older golfers there that used to be really good um, that that you could learn stuff from as well, you know, now that they're like 60 and still playing on tours. Um, but but again, you, you do have that ability to go find people and say, hey, what can I learn from player X? And again, it doesn't have to be elbow position. It doesn't have to be P6.3 and what is the face rotation of the – who cares? Like there's a lot to be learned from a lot of these guys and a lot of these older guys. You know, I to me, my favorite thing on YouTube is go watch Lee Trevino talk about hitting a golf ball. He, he ain't talking beta torques. He's just talking like this is how I move a golf club and it creates a shot pattern, right? So there's a lot to be learned from a lot of these older guys and these and, and from these players that have had success. And I encourage and I I tell my son to do this all the time. He's going crazy in the golf. Go find old videos of old golfers just talking about golf. Like learn from them. They, you know, they're experienced dudes. Now sometimes it's it gets a little crazy out there, but it's okay. You know, <laughs> so again, it's just starting to 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 reach outside of what you know and, and really reach outside of technique, which I think Gareth would love to hear about is get outside of this technique bubble that we see inside of YouTube and everything and learn to play the game and learn from the best in the world. So like I said, when Jojo said that, I was just like, Oh, Bye. I love hearing that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Brian, can I, uh, thanks Brian. Um, <laughs> thanks, I thought there was a question sh- there for me, but I didn't hear it. Did you? For that, thanks, Brian, for that short observation as usual. He responds. If I was engaged with a junior golfer who I uh, w- was unable to work with in in terms of physically being on a training ground with them, etc., and 
happen to have an opportunity to guide them, I would say to them, go and find 10 swings on YouTube right now that are super funky. None of the 10 look the same. I don't want you to listen to the commentary, and I want you to show me your version of those swings in one week's time. All 10. So you're going to learn, you're going to give me mimicry, but it's physical mimicry versus just watching and observing. Because if you're listening to commentary, it's going to, it's going to affect your, your personal filter. Each kid will have their own interpretation of movement, movement patterns. That's what they will use to develop anything that happens going forward. I think if you were to put on YouTube and just go, can you make, can you make a swing like this? Can you show me an exit pattern like X, right? But it would not even be that technical. You, you would see some amazing movements very quickly. Fascinating. Never thought of that. You are all welcome. You are all very <laughs> welcome. Cool. Brian, do you have any um, questions or comments to wrap up that don't go more than 10 minutes? Yeah, man. So uh, <laughs> funny, guys. Funny, funny. But I'm still waiting for my uh, rebirth. Um, so let's see here. Uh Welcome to Three Questions. The In The Hunt team will field inquiries on performance from you, the listener. We will apply the what they don't tell you format to each question, which means we will dive in deep to your subject matter and provide clarity to your question. Uh, I, I had the good fortune to sit down with a couple of high school coaches over the last couple of days, and I've gotten a bunch of questions from golfers, high school golfers, as well as a couple of coaches. And it's kind of funny that this is literally the, the questions I got. Um, and they really tied into today's episode, which I didn't really know what today's episode was about until Mark Sweeney about 10 minutes ago said, Hey, we're going to talk about this. <laughs> I didn't know it was so, about either until I sat down and turned it on. All right. Tell me, I like to, I like, I like that I time no pressure to stuff out. I operate better with a lot of time pressure. So here we go. All right. So Gareth McShay, we'll give you the, this first question. Um, this was actually from a, from a coach two days ago, uh, before we started talking with his players. Um, he's played all kinds of different sports, hmm. uh, but he's having trouble bringing some of those experiences, uh, to his actual training in golf. He's not a golfer. He's a coach that does golf just so they can have a golf team. So he was looking for advice on how he can bring some of that information from other sports he's taught, uh, to his golfer. So what say you? Sorry, Brian, just, just clarification here. This is a coach asking this question. That was for, a coach asking the question for helping his players. On behalf of the players. Yeah. Um, his experiences will not be as relevant as the experiences that his players currently have. So they could help greatly with um, descriptive terms and metaphors or analogies, but he really needs to ascertain I mean, most people, here's a simple one, guys. Most people have played table tennis at some stage of their lives, right? And if you've played table ping tennis, pong. you know how to hit your what? Ping pong. Never heard ping, of it. Ping pong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think you've just gone to, to Thailand or somewhere. But, but, but back to back. To, <laughs> so most people have played table tennis. <laughs> I'm staying, I'm sticking with the terminology. Uh, and if you ask them, can you hit a, you know, can you hit a slice? Can you slice the ball and make it spit back? and go, yep. And they'll, they'll make air gestures, even their hands go, this is what I do. And how do you hit a top spin? And this is what I do. Um, and you just figure out what the kids have done in the past, right? And also at a time, people don't realize, like, if you've thrown a Frisbee, you know how to finish the golf swing correctly. 
right? If you've, if you've skimmed a stone across the water, you, you know how to make the correct movements through a golf ball. Um, but, but it's really have the conversation with the kids first and then create stories around your own personal uh, sporting experiences. And it's much more about the story and the descriptive terms and maybe creating um, visuals, putting some constraints in place, putting targets out there that are funky and fun and asking them how they get the ball to go that direction as if they were playing table tennis or skimming a stone or hitting whatever. Uh, it's really helpful, but you've got to know what the baseline is of what you're working with first before you introduce your own experiences. Otherwise, you're just telling people stuff that doesn't make sense. Call you too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mark. This was actually a question that was brought up by a couple of the players, and I figured this is right up your wheelhouse. Um, what are some of the common areas you see the difference between high school and college golfers, like good golfers, and next level, kind of that elite amateur player, as well as a touring professional, what do you see some of the bigger gaps um, as they're kind of building their career high school guys and looking for that? What, what common gaps do you see in that? Uh, well, if the, the first, the first obvious thing that comes to mind is as you go from high school to college to pro golf, your, your funnel gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and smaller. So you're weeding out all the people who don't really care about golf. So I get a lot of, I get, I don't want to say I get a lot. I get some juniors who, they obviously just don't care. Like they're out there because their parents are kind of pushing them and they maybe want to get a scholarship, but there's no love for it. And by the time you get college and then definitely if they want to go pro, there's an inherent kind of love for the game, which is going to drive the, which is going to drive their practice. Um, that's kind of from the mental side, from the, from the technical side, um, ball striking develops first and then the better and better the player gets, it shifts more to short game and putting. And if you don't have a really good short game and putting, by the time you get to pro golf, you're done. Bye-bye. Uh, you can't shoot 73 every day and stay on the pro tour. Um, I was out with, um, Tommy Fleetwood this morning doing, uh, doing an aim point putting cleanup lesson before the Florida swing. And at one point we were doing, you know, aim point reads for chipping and just watching him around the green chipping was spectacular i was like okay if you land at 10 feet from the hole higher it's going to break this much if you land at 20 feet from the hole lower it was this much and he had every shot he wanted to right on the spot and he hit his landing spot right exactly every time he hit the trajectory he wanted every single time i never see that from college golfers like literally he hit 30 40 chips and he never missed his landing spot once or his trajectory and that that was a, that's a level of skill developed that you obviously have to have at that level but I've never seen it like that, even with a very good college golfer. I haven't seen ball control with a wedge like that. Very interesting. So uh, definitely putting in short game are the anchors for the uh, high school collegian compared to kind of the elites on the tours. And then, yeah, the love of the game. I get it. Uh, the other question, I guess I'll ask myself since I wrote these three questions down. Brian, I have a question for you. Yes, sir. Um, basically, they asked, why the hell did we start Game Forge? I was like, I have never been asked that question. That True. is funny, other than, you know, my wife going, where's all this money going to? Uh, no. So why did we create GameForge? Uh, when I got out of college coaching, I called Mark Sweeney and I was in a, like, what, what the hell am I going to do with my life kind of moment? And we sat down and, and, and we sat down at a pizza shop in Charlottesville and we talked about what we could do. And we came up with something called Junior Gross Crossroads, which is kind of what we're trying to do, but it's not the way that we planned on getting there. It's Game Forge came out. And a lot of it was from our dissatisfaction way that golf is taught. 
it really is that we were, you know, un, not satisfied with, you know, how people train. Uh, so we came up with a training platform. Nobody used it because nobody trains in golf. Um, we had college coaches that said, hey, we're not going to run a stat program and then do a training program and put in multiple inputs. It goes back to conservation of energy, human condition. I don't want to go above and beyond. So they said, you got to come up with a stat program. Hence, GameForge came about. So why is GameForge the way GameForge is? It's really driven by really lazy college coaches. No, no. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, and but, from my point of from my point of view, I didn't know what the heck my students were doing once they left once they left the putting green. No idea what they're doing. Didn't have any visibility to any performance metrics. Yeah, and it's hard to be a good coach when you don't know what they're doing when they go play. And I always said that being a college coach, the best thing you could do about being a college coach is you had 10 players or whatever. You saw them day in, day out. You saw them compete. You, you got to walk the golf course with them. You got to hear what they think. You get to hear you know, beliefs. You get to hear their fears. You get to hear all this stuff. So as a collegiate coach and even technically a high school coach or a big junior burner, you, you learn so much. And basically what we try to do with Game Forge is give you that knowledge and information and be able to put it in a simple package that understand what's important now, what are the answers, and how do I move? And that's really the essence of what GameForge is. But how we got here, it was a little little crooked and a little funny. Uh, capitalism driven by the market. Um, people told us what they wanted, and we work hard at trying to do it. So uh, to me, that was really funny. I've never been hit with the, why the heck did you guys create GameForge before? No. Um, so that was, was cool. And, of course, with the high school kid, I was very polite and you know, gave him a very judicial O'Brien was, was polite and politically correct. Like, when I'm yeah. in public and don't yeah, know right. anybody. You know, you know a high school kid's going to listen to this, right? None. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I've looked at our, I've looked at our demographics. None. We're okay. <laughs> <laughs> All so, right, Mark. Cool. So uh, we'll let you wind this one up. Yeah, thank, thanks guys for joining me as normal. You know, I read a book back when I was probably mid-20s called How to Think Like a Genius. And one of the concepts it said, it said, take take an, a, two ideas that are seem completely opposite, seem like there's no correlation or no relationship between two, two ideas and, and figure out a way to connect those ideas. And a lot of that is literally... You know, when you're looking at other disciplines and other sports and seeing how can that apply to golf, it's it's kind of the same idea. And I really um, encourage people to, to take an interest in other disciplines and say, okay, what makes a championship sailboat racer or a downhill skier or a table tennis player? And you'll you'll find a lot of parallels and you'll find some really good analogies that go from that can, that can be applied to golf. And if nothing else, it really opens up your mind. So I think a lot of what we're talking about here is just how do you do that? How do you how do you take the best of other disciplines and apply it to golf? Um, I I'm a big fan of doing it. You got to carve out time in your day to do it because otherwise you just get so buried. You know how it is. You get buried with golf 24 seven and you and you don't take the time out to think about something completely different. But I think it's a great valuable exercise. So uh, anyway, thank you guys for coming. We will see y'all. I don't know whenever we decide to do another podcast pretty soon next week. Uh, this week or next week, we're going to release JoJo's first. I mean, full interview uh friday i think right brian correct yeah and it's it's worth listening to it's it's cool he's a cool guy and he's in any again it was comes from the top of his sport um so great insight there uh anything you guys want to finish up with 
Uh, Mark, I totally agree. I think it's going and watching other sports is not taking time away from golf. It's taking time developing your sporting abilities. And if you can, I'm going to quote a, a genius here, cross-pollinate between ping pong and soccer, for example, uh, then you're really <laughs> getting somewhere. <laughs> but honestly, I mean, it, and, and go, go and watch a sporting event, take a notepad with you and, and just just write some things down. Look, look at it through. It's always going to be through your own eyes, from your own perspective. But go and watch other players, other athletes, other codes. Go and watch them, if you can, how they warm up, how they cool down, how they do other parts of the game that aren't as evident as the actual performance itself. Um, and take a notepad, take some notes, and, and go home and think about what if I applied this to my golf game? And that cross-pollination will occur, and you could come up with something genius for your own personal performances that would be extremely empowering. Agreed. Wow, I'm impressed. We just fried Brian's circuit, so just, just, we're, we're going to shortcut just him and end his podcast it, now. If he's quiet, if we've, if we've silenced Bailey, just cut it out. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, a fuse blew, I think. So, Brian, thanks for joining us. I'll let you sit there and let your ears smoke a little bit. <laughs> anyway thanks, thanks everybody, for, thanks everybody thanks, for joining us as always if you have questions uh let us know dm us um whatever email us uh instagram we get a lot of things on there my game forge at an instagram what, what's the other one do you have any do you have an in the hunt one on instagram brian uh yeah we just started the fuel performance network as well um so we're gonna put mo majority of our video stuff there and then that way, GameForge can go back to just providing the world's best data and information on how to get better. So I can kind of separate the two. Um, so you're just not getting inundated with all the new wonderful releases that we have inside of Fuel, which is at videos.mygameforge.com. You should be a member. And if not, I'm shaming you now. You should be. Uh, but we've, we've kind of separated the two. And, and what you're going to start to see in, on the Fuel side and the podcast side is we might have some new voices coming in the not so distant future. So be on the lookout for that. But yeah, thanks everybody for listening once again. And we're excited to see you guys within the hunt next month. All right. Thank you, everybody. We will talk at you later. Thank <laughs> you. This has been a fuel production.